So I was given, the, I was asked the question about giving this talk in October last year. So I have been thinking about, or at least this talk has been on my mind for 10 months now. Uh, so it's quite nice to be up here and, 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 and give the talk. Um, and it's been inter an interesting process of reflection for me. And it's taking me to quite different places in these 10 months. So one of them has been these, in meditation, these mythical journeys into pure lands where the Dharma is heard in birdsong and you can feel the Dharma in the sun on your face. Um, and there have been a lot, lots of lists with ideas and several mind maps um, in, this, in this period. And in my head there have been at least a dozen versions of this talk that I could have given. Um, and of course, I have asked myself the question, why, Prasada Charin, why did you say yes to doing this? Um, but anyway, here we are. Um, this is the result, and this is one of all those talks that I could have given to you today. So, so far we have been exploring transformation through of ourselves and transformation um, through Sangha. And there, I will build on that and there will be overlap. Um, but of course there has to be, because without transforming ourselves and without coming together to transform together, how could we possibly have an impact out there in the world? So we're moving into this third and last talk on this event. Uh, the title I was, the preliminary title I was given was Transforming the World. Massive topic. Um, and then I was asked a few months later, do you want to, do you want, what, what do you want to call the talk? Transforming the world. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's called. So the first question to ask, I guess, is what do we mean when we say the world? What's the world? Who's the world? So our environment, our surroundings, the objects in it, nature around us. And in this uh, environment, there are all kinds of beings, those we see, maybe those we can't see, who knows. And of course, among those beings, uh, human beings, people. So I'm mainly gonna focus on the people aspect of the world today. So transformation of the world. So another question I thought of was, what's the problem in the world? Or what needs transforming? So I turned to the Pali Canon, and there is a sutta called the Adita Pariyaya Sutta. And in that sutta, the Buddha says, Sabbam Aditam, Sabbam Aditam. This means everything is on fire, or everything is burning. And then the Buddha, of course, continues to unpack this a bit, and he talks about how in all our interaction with the world through our senses, as well as in our inner world of thoughts and emotions, there is a constant burning. We keep fueling a fire that never seems to stop burning. It just goes on and on, it's burning and it's burning. And the Buddha, as he always does, says that there are X number of something, so there are three kinds of fires, according to the Buddha in this sutta. The fire of greed, the fire of hatred, and the fire of delusion. So he's saying that out of relating to our experience in this way, with these three fires, out of our existential confusion, out of aversion or pushing away of everything that we find unpleasant, 
out of the constant chasing, grasping and clinging to what we find pleasant. Out of all of this arises all the dukkha, most of the dukkha probably, of the world. So it's like we burn and the world burns because of us. And it ignites all kinds of fires out there, doesn't it? Greed, hatred and delusion, just to mention very few. Conflict, violence, war, injustice, discrimination. I don't have to tell you what else is out there uh, that's based on greed, hatred and delusion, but those are just a few. Another question I've asked myself preparing for this is, is there an alternative? So we have these fires, is there an alternative? Or you could also ask, what would be different after a transformation? If a transformation happened, what would be different afterwards? And I just want to clarify what is actually on fire. So the Buddha is not saying that the world out there is on fire. He's saying that our minds are on fire. Our minds are on fire. So we all know that one human being, driven by hate, hatred, um, greed and delusion, can cause a lot of a lot of suffering, but there isn't one person driven by that on this planet. There are billions and billions of us, all driven to some extent by these three things. So we are, we are setting fire to the world around us all the time. So continuing with this fire symbolism, I find it very interesting that the highest highest goal or aim of Buddhist practice, the complete peace and freedom of nirvana. Um, nirvana means blowing out or extinguishing. So that's quite interesting. So what are we all about? We're about blowing out, extinguishing those three fires. But then I thought maybe a more tantric image, also re related to fire, would be not to blow the flames out, but rather to transform the worldly flames into transcendental flames. So whichever of these images inspires you more, there is this shared idea that we want to remove greed, hatred and delusion, and we want to introduce, we want to cultivate uh, contentment, generosity, well-wishing and compassion, clarity and insight in ourselves and therefore uh, for the world. Another question. So there is a problem. There is a possible alternative, and then is there, is there a solution? Or how can we achieve this transformation? So once again, I turn to the Pali Canon, this time to the Dhammapada, to one of my favorite uh, sayings of the Buddha. Sabadanam dhammadanam jinnati. Sabadanam dhammadanam jinnati. So sabadanam, of all gifts, dhammadanam, the gift of the Dharma, Jinnati, wins or is victorious. So of all gifts, the gift of the Dharma is the one that wins, is the one that is victorious. So the Dharma, according to the Buddha, is the best gift, the most valuable gift, the greatest gift that there is. Why is that? Well, it is the only gift that actually really deals with these fires of greed, hatred and delusion. It is the only gift that can lead us to freedom, that can lead us to peace. So if the Dharma is a gift, how can we, what, what kinds of gifts from the Dharma can we offer to the world? So I'm going to explore this 
based, based on you know, the transformation of self, how we individually can change the world, but also how we as a Sangha can transform the world so collectively as a community. And of course, if, if you start taking things out of the Dharma that could benefit the world in this regard, the list is very, very long. Uh, fortunately, it's long. Um, so I thought, I need a framework, so why not go back to the three jewels? Um, so I will use them as a sort of framework. So we call them jewels, but we also call them refuges. So in a sense, the only things in this world where we can find true safety from these fires of samsara, from the fires of con conditioned existence, are the th three refuges. We can seek safety with those three things. So under the heading of the three jewels, I'm going to try to highlight some of the many gifts that we are already offering to the world. And I'd encourage you to listen to them from the point of view of, oh yeah, if that, was, if that was more common in our world, what would that impact be? What would the change be if these things were um, more, more out there, more uh, in circulation or whatever you want to call it? Um, so they will all be very familiar to you. And this is why I'm encouraging you to listen to them on that level of what would the world, how would the world benefit from these. Because uh, we can take them for granted. I think we can quite easily take these things for granted because it's the basics in a certain way of what we're trying to do. Uh, but if we reflect, we don't even need to reflect, we just have to go out, out there into the world and we notice that all these basic things that we can take for granted are not um, always what we find out in the world. So the Sangha jewel or the Sangha refuge. So I want to start with quoting Bhante about going for refuge to the Sangha. In the case of the Arya Sangha, going for refuge to the Sangha means opening ourselves to the spiritual influence of the sublime beings of whom it consists. It means learning from them, being inspired by them, reverencing them. In the case of the Sangha in the more ordinary sense, that of the community of all Buddhists, it means enjoying spiritual fellowship with one another and helping one another on the path. So the Sangha is a context for going deeper. It is a network of people to help us and for us to help them as well to go deeper. So a few things that we can offer the world uh, that has to do with Sangha. So community, a sense of community, um, the practice of community. So there's coming together in a safe space where people can be welcomed with kindness, but also, as we heard yesterday from Sangamani, a place where we can be challenged and where our views and our behaviors um, can be reflected back so that we can learn more about ourselves. So that's something we can offer the world. Friendship. I think this was the trickiest one to say something about because I, I know what it's meant to me. How can, you, how can you describe spiritual friendship? Um, but I guess there's something in that beauty of having people in your life that share values, share views, share practices, and that you can be completely yourself with, be all of yourself with, and share all of your life with them. Uh, that's the closest I could come to saying something about spiritual friendship. And we can keep offering courses and events in our city centers. And this might sound a bit... I don't know, doesn't sound as inspiring as spiritual friendship, maybe. 
but being a chair of a center in a city and of a retreat center, um, but for the city center part of it, I know for a fact that for a lot of people in Stockholm and elsewhere, a Buddhist center is an oasis in, in a chaotic world. So that's something we can offer the world. And then we have our retreat centers and the retreats we offer. Um, so offering ideal conditions for exploring what it is existentially to be human, uh, giving ideal conditions for practice. Uh, and I like Maitreya Bandhu's um, description the other day of cr creating heaven on earth, uh, at least for a weekend or, or a week, <laughs> uh, before we go back into the, the world again. And of course we have the communities uh, and our team-based right livelihoods. Uh, so living and working together based on shared values and practice. So those are all things uh, coming, from, coming out of the Sangha jewel that we can give to the world. So the Dharma jewel or the Dharma refuge, again back to Bhante. When we go for refuge to the Dharma, we commit ourselves to the path of the higher evolution. We commit ourselves to whatever helps us to develop spiritually to whatever helps us to grow towards enlightenment. So the first area here that I wanted to, to mention is um, how the Dharma provides us with perspectives and understandings that we can kind of hand on, pass on to the world. So just a few examples. Things are always changing. They're constantly changing. These so-called things are actually processes without any fixed core or essence. There is unsatisfactoriness in our human existence. There is unsatisfactoriness in our human existence. And these are not just ideas um, that we're given or facts, um, but the Dharma gives us ways of relating to them and facing them in new ways, in different ways. I guess that's the, the crucial thing. It's not just, oh, here's a description of reality, get on with it, but actually uh, this is how you can relate to this in a, in a more helpful way. Next area under Dharma I want to mention is ethics. Actions have consequences. If the world, if all, all of us, all the billions of us stopped and thought a bit deeper about this one liner of actions have consequences, I think that would have quite a massive effect on the world. Um, so what we're doing is we're, we're have, we have a system of training, um, an approach to training to abstain from harm, to abstain from taking the not given, to abstain from sexual misconduct, from false speech, and from intoxic intoxication. But we're also cultivating the positive opposites of love, generosity, of contentment, truthfulness, and mindfulness that is clear and radiant. What a difference that would make to the world. And the last area under the heading of topic of the Dharma are all the practices we have. So coming back to this idea that we're not just saying a lot of nice stuff, um, but we actually have um, concrete ways of trying out um, and testing and growing through practices, um, not just intellectual um, exercises. So of course there is meditation, and in relationship to the world I was thinking of you know, there, it happens every now and then that meditation is seen by people who are not meditating as leaving the world, not caring about the world, withdrawing from it. Um, 
But actually what we're doing is we're, we're temporarily withdrawing so that when, when we re-engage, we do that with more wisdom and with more compassion. So it's this com constant movement of withdrawing to be able to engage more fully. Um, but we can't engage more fully if we don't withdraw into meditation uh, and retreat and so on. Uh, so that's a way of practicing that I think could benefit the world a lot. But it's not only in meditation, of course, it's outside as well. So we have to make our whole life uh, practice. So we have practices for cultivating more mindfulness, more body awareness, stillness, more absorbed state of mind, more absorbed states of mind. We have practices to cultivate the four Brahma Viharas, metta, compassion, joy, and equanimity. The four arms of my Avalokiteshvara I have for moral support over here. The four Brahma Viharas, the four arms of Avalokiteshvara. We have practices that allow us to simply be, to do nothing. That's something for the world to, to take up, I think. We have practices helping us to see through the constant self-referencing and the constant self-centeredness that we carry with us. And we have practices that open us up to something beyond our everyday experience, beyond these fires of greed, hatred and delusion. So a bit more of all of these practices in the world probably wouldn't hurt anyone, uh, I think. So the third jewel, the third refuge, of course, is the Buddha. This greater vision for human existence, communicating to us that there is freedom, there is liberation from suffering, and that it's, it's, it's available, it's out there for all of us, we can all become free. So we are all full of potential, we're all full of uh, the capacity to grow, to develop, and even to awaken. So two quotes here, one both by Bhante, one is from the Threefold Puja. The Buddha was born as we are born. What the Buddha overcame, we too can overcome. What the Buddha attained, we too can attain. This is very concise, but one of my, one of my favorites. I often quote this when I have uh, school classes visiting the Stockholm Buddhist Center to give them a sense of, um, to kind of get them out of the idea of religion as God being able to save you, but kind of you can save yourself <laughs> uh, and you can save the world. Uh, let's come back to that later. Um, and then a bit of a longer quote from Bhante, kind of yeah, unpacking those three short lines a bit more. We too can become as the Buddha. We too can become enlightened. That is the great message of Buddhism. Each and every human being who makes the effort can become what the Buddha became. When, therefore, we go for refuge to the Buddha, we go for refuge to him as the living embodiment of a spiritual ideal, which is a spiritual ideal for us, a spiritual ideal we can actually realize. When we go for refuge to the Buddha, it is as though we say, that is what I want to be. That is what I want to attain. I want to be enlightened and develop the fullness of wisdom and compassion. Going for refuge to the Buddha means taking the Buddha, taking Buddhahood as our personal spiritual ideal, as something we ourself, ourselves can achieve. Isn't that a gift, a gift to humanity? 
I don't know, I'm just moved <laughs> uh, reading that. So if the Dharma is a gift, the, the greatest one of them all, and we have all these um, sub-gifts, <laughs> or whatever you can call them, of the Dharma, uh, these under-categories um, that we can offer the world, uh, these riches, how, how, how can we give them, how can we offer them to the world? So I've divided this into two, two parts. Um, the first one being maybe a bit more indirect and more on an individual level. So through exemplifying our Dharma practice, through skillful communication, by living the Dharma more and more, whatever we're doing in our lives, um, on an individual level, and maybe without trying to tell people that the Dharma is the greatest gift, we can have a, quite a strong impact. So our personal relationships, how do I practice more with, my, with our partners, with our family members, with our friends? Then of course we have work. So whether you're an employee, a co-worker or a boss, how can you bring more Dharma practice into that? And of course there's the choice of your work as well. And I find it interesting, this criticism of Buddhism sometimes that, you know, there's apparently now there's engaged Buddhism and there's non-engaged Buddhism. I won't go into that. I'll leave that for you to discuss before you leave this event. But, you know, there's this sense that, you, yeah, like I said, you go away, you meditate, you, you apparently just focus on being with your Sangha friends and, you know, what good will that do to the world? Uh, but if I look around in the Stockholm Center, at least, and I know this from other places as well, looking at what people actually do in their work time, shows that that's not true. So just examples from the Sangha in Sweden. We have teachers, nurses, doctors, therapists, uh, judges. I work with grief and I used to be an undertaker and I could go on. It's like most people in our Sangha do something that directly has an impact on the well-being of human beings, whether they're Buddhist or not, uh, out there. Uh, so I think this is a very, very important aspect um, and a gift, I think, from Bhante that we can have work as spiritual practice. And then, of course, if we're engaged in other kinds of voluntary work out there in the world, in other charities or other, for other causes that are not strictly dharmic, whether we're working with climate, social justice, animal rights, labor unions, uh, or aiding those who need uh, aid in whatever way in the world, how can we bring more dharma into those contexts? Um, yeah, what would this particular group of activists benefit from, from our point of view, for example? Um, so it might not be dhar specifically dharmic, but what can we bring into it? And then more directly, or on the level of a community, um, so more explicitly giving the dharma, uh, you can take part in or even set up uh, dharmic projects that have kind of specific altruistic aims. Uh, so just two examples, eco-dharma up in the Spanish mountains. It's like where the world of dharma meets the secular world of activism. Uh, and there's this kind of interaction uh, there. And of course, we heard quite a lot of, about Karana um, yesterday, um, having this fundraising to be able to support and aid uh, where aid is needed in India, but turning that into a radical dharma practice. Uh, so just two examples of that. But then we have making the dharma available. This is my last point uh, on how we can give and offer the riches of the dharma. 
so supporting and participating in our community and our institutions. I know some people find the word institution very unsexy, uh, but we have institutions, we need institutions, and how can you support them, how can you participate uh, in them? Um, and I mean, we're primarily a community and we secondarily have uh, institution, I, I would agree with that. Um, so how can we help make all of these precious gifts available to more people, make them available to the world? One obvious thing is money, of course. won't say a lot about that, but of course, dana in the form of money is important, will make a difference. But also, like how, what can you do to make sure that dharma is spread? So I guess that's everything from like cleaning the center to helping with the bookkeeping. I mean, it doesn't sound very dharmic, maybe, but without that, we, we can't spread the dharma. Um, sharing your skills, if you have particular skills, whether it's building, or whether it's offering concerts on an international gathering. Um, what can you give to the Sangha that will, create, that will create a space so that new people and the world out there can benefit as you have? Supporting classes, supporting retreats, supporting events. But I found it, found it interesting that I had written what I'm going to say next and then coming back to the first evening when Singamati said that don't underestimate the impact of showing up. Because uh, I'd written that as well. Just show up. It makes a big difference if you're there or not. Um, yeah, just be there. Just attend what you can attend. Uh, be a friend. Be a friend to the person who comes in through the door for the first time. Be a friend to someone you have known for a while. Uh, be a friend to those you keep being a friend to those you have befriended already. And of course, you can deepen your involvement. You can deepen your commitment. Becoming a mitra, asking for ordination, joining the order. If you're in the order, ordain someone. I can't do that yet, uh, but those of you who can, you know, that's a way of helping our sangha uh, and giving back to the world. If you're in a position to do so, if you're in a group, or if you can support in your center, lead things, teach, share your experience, share your knowledge. It can be informally, it can be formally, it doesn't really matter. Just share the Dharma with other people. And of course, we can take the Dharma into new contexts. So we've heard from, from India, we've heard from Latin America, and that's a lot of the, the stuff that's going on there, if not all of it, is because some people decided to go there and set something up. Um, so new countries, new cultures, but even within our, the cultures and the countries we're already in, there are loads of groupings of people we are not, we're not um, reaching. Um, and what can we do about that? What's quite a big topic has been for the last few chairs meetings as well, gender diversity, uh, people of color and ethnic diversity. So it's something we are exploring, uh, and that's a way of bringing the Dharma to more people as well. So I guess all of this is about passing on what you've been given. Passing on what you have been given. So I'd say that this last area of making the Dharma available is our main responsibility. Making the Dharma available is our main responsibility. And I can hear some whys uh, in your minds. Uh, why should we focus on this? Aren't there more urgent things out there in the world that needs to be dealt with beforehand? 
So I want to come back and, and quote a few people who have been talking during uh, this weekend uh, and see how some of the quotes might translate into this talk. So when Ratnaguna was talking about um, transforming self, he said, uh, you can practice and practice, but not let yourself change. Or we can practice and practice, but not let ourselves change. And I thought with the world, maybe that could be something like, we can try to fix and fix the world, but not allow transformation on a deeper level. We can fix and fix in the world, but not allow transformation on a deeper level. And Sangamani talking about a Sangha as um, a path of transformation talked about the importance of knowing and changing what conditions will take your practice deeper. So I thought with the world maybe that would be something like this, the importance of knowing and changing what conditions will transform the world deeply. And when we heard from our Indian friends the other day, Amoga Siddhi, who has a lot of experience in social projects in India and who sees firsthand their impact uh, in India, when he was asked, and now towards the end of the interview, looking ahead into the future of Chiratna in India, what do you want to see? And he said, India needs more and more Dharma. India needs more and more Dharma. Uh, that's what he wants to see more of. Um, so the world desperately needs all of this that we have to offer, but we need more people. We will always need more people sharing all of this, and if we're not doing it, who's going to do it? If we're not doing it, who else is going to do it? I was talking to a friend of mine, a GFR Mitra, in, in Stockholm before this, and she had this interesting reflection. And she said, well, if you look back at Buddhist history, the reason we have the Dharma now is because there have been people devoting their time and energy to practicing and sharing their practice. That seems to be the main thing the Sangha has been about. Uh, so in a certain way, it's only due to people wholeheartedly doing what I'm talking about now for 2,500 2, years that we are in this tent today. Uh, so it's like that's the result of people uh, sharing the Dharma. And if we don't, who else is going to do that? So, what we have to offer is very rare. Uh, I hope you agree with me. What we have to offer is very rare. And it's not only rare, but it's truly radical. And I wrote that. I wrote, it's not only rare, it's truly radical. And then I thought, what is the definition of radical? Um, not just because Bante is my teacher, but also because I have a background as a linguist. Uh, <laughs> I thought, Let's go to the dictionary. So how, in what sense is the Dharma gift truly radical? So it's radical in the sense of wanting great and fundamental change. Wanting great and fundamental change. Another definition, it's radical in the sense of doing something that will fundamentally change society. Some, doing something that will fundamentally change society. And the third one, Dharma is radical in the sense of causing or being an example of great change. Causing or being an example of great change. So we have this fundamental change, but interestingly, the last one, being an example of that change, I think they're important to, to, to that they come together. But then the question is, do we believe the Dharma is radical? 
are we convinced that the Dharma is the greatest gift that we can give to the world? Do you believe you can change? Do you believe we can change the world? Without that, what's the point? So I think that conviction somehow uh, is at the core of things. Uh, there's, it's probably not a chance that Shraddha is the second out of 12 links in the spiral, in the spiral path. Without that, what, what can we do to change the world? So coming towards the end, um, it's just staying and perhaps reflecting on ourselves how most of us in here, if not all of us, have first-hand experience of the transformative effect of the Dharma, how it's life-changing. And probably most of you have seen that in others as well, which I think is more beautiful than seeing changing myself, it's actually seeing it in other people. Um, so again and again, I've been moved seeing the Dharma transformed individual people. So an example, newcomers, and that sense of relief, that sense of feeling like, I've heard so many people say this without having heard it before, I feel like I've come home. Have you heard that? Yeah, I've come home. And it's like the first time, an open house day at the Stockholm Buddhist Center, and they have come home without anyone telling them that they thought that was what they did when they came to the Stockholm Buddhist Center. <laughs> but also the excitement and the eagerness of a newcomer. Um, that there's so much more to life, there's so much they want to explore, there's so much more um, to life, yeah. But also, like, gradually getting to know people and noticing how they're gradually starting to make more and more changes in their lives. I find that really inspiring. Uh, and to me, that gives the confidence that it's working. But also witnessing people deepening their commitment to a spiritual life, having been to a mitra ceremony or an ordination, um, an ordination, a public ordination, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. Just witnessing, seeing people taking their practice deeper. And I was... Yeah, kind of, yeah. These things that we take for granted again. When Glesa and Salvador were talking, was it yesterday? Yeah. Um, so they were 15 and 16 when they came to our centers in Venezuela and in Mexico. And I have two quotes for them that I just found very striking and moving. So one of them said, no, both of them said, the Dharma has changed the way I think. The Dharma has changed the way I think. And one of them said, my answer to Dukkha is different. My answer to Dukkha is different. If that's not radical, what's radical? So the Dharma is a gift. You can change, you can grow. And in coming together with others as a Sangha, we can grow and change. And through that, the world can transform. It can be transformed. But the only real transformation coming back to where I started with the, the fires of the mind, is the transformation of the mind, of course. This is, the, this is the real transformation, the transformation of mind. And I'd like to, to quote one of our great Dharma heroes here. So a practitioner who saw what the world really needed and who did everything he, ca he could to seed um, a deeper transformation of the world a person who wrote the Constitution of India and who was an advocate of major social and political change, who is also on our shrine, Dr. Ambedkar. So I have these three short quotes by Dr. Ambedkar. And they kind of, in my mind, they kind of build on each other. So the first one is, freedom of mind is the real freedom. Freedom of mind is the real freedom. The next one, 
Cultivation of mind should be the ultimate aim of human existence. Cultivation of mind should be the ultimate aim of human existence. And the last one was new to me, but Amogasidi mentioned it in the interview the other day. So we have freedom of mind is the real freedom. Cultivation of mind should be the ultimate aim of human existence. And then the last and third one of these quotes, propagating the Dharma is the true service to humankind. Propagating the Dharma is the true service to humankind. And exactly that is the Buddha's gift to me. It is exactly the gift he has given to you. That is the Buddha's offering to the world. And may it totally transform the world. May the flames of greed, of hatred and delusion be extinguished. Or may the flames that transmute samsara into nirvana arise.